Welcome to the Law of Startups Podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us today. Today, we're lucky to have in the studio Mr. Bill Carlton. Bill is a uh, longtime Seattle uh, tech lawyer and a uh, person who's been really involved in the tech community and the angel investment community. Bill is uh, currently the chair of the Angel Capital Association's uh, Public Policy uh, Advisory Council, which is pretty a pretty esteemed spot to sit. That's a group of lawyers from all over the country who uh, work with the Angel Capital Association to monitor public policy developments and to advocate for the right types of investment um, landscape and regulatory, you know, you know, situation for angels and for startups. Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe, and thanks, Mike. Really happy to be here. Um, Thrilled to be here. Thanks for inviting me. For sure. So, Bill, in addition to the other things you do, I mean, you've been a lawyer for a long time. In addition to that, you've been a you've been a writer, and uh, and a person who appreciates writing and um, and and po- including including poetry, and uh, and so it's been fun to be your friend for the last ten years or so to trade notes on people we're reading, and and uh, I'm really glad you're on the show. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. No. I. I um... Through my 20s, I spent most of my time writing poetry and getting an MFA and figuring what I would do for a living because I didn't really have any marketable skills. So, of course, I went to law school and figured out there, oh, it's about reading and writing and thinking and talking. So, you know, kind of that's how I became a lawyer in a weird sort of way. Yeah. Didn't you teach writing somewhere for a while? I taught writing about film at Cornell, oh, okay. like a freshman, sophomore um, English class. And, and I found that uh, the students you know, were excited about writing about movies. Right. And, and actually pretty good at analyzing them and breaking down. Like one trick would be you'd turn off the sound on a movie yeah. and, and, you, and then you would say, okay, what happened? And people could break it down, you know, eyeline matches and, and, uh, and you know, uh, you know where you get a close up of a person's face, yeah, and the, and they they make some gesture with their eyes, and then you cut to, and you sort of know that's what they see. Well, why do you think that? There's a kind of a vocabulary of film that people are more in. Whereas you know writers like you and me and Mike, I don't know you well enough to know what kind of affection or affinity you have for writing. You can do that with writing too, right? And that's kind of what poetry is is about in a lot of ways is um, investigating those. Uh, ways that words and sentences mean things and playing with that. Yeah. So now the poems you write, you write them all according to a structure or a formula, right? I do these days. Um, I think when I was younger, um, I, I've always had an affinity for form. I think when I was a child, I, I liked, you know, formal, metrical verse. Um, and then as I was writing as a young man, I... I you know, was probably very influenced by my teacher A.R. Ammons and the late John Ashbery, who just passed away. And I'm finding since um, my youngest son had me, he's a sound engineer, and he had me record some a group of poems I wrote in 1997, which were relatively formal, but still loose without a strict metrical scheme or, or end rhymes. And in listening to those, I found I wanted them to be more musical. So I think I'm sort of circling back to the sounds where where I, um, uh, you know, I, things that were embedded when I was a, a kid. And also, I think that the themes of my poems these days are about the digital economy and kind of the way we live now. And there's so, see, something 
kind of anachronistic about using traditional verse forms and meter. Yeah. Um, and so I think it might be kind of a, appropriate in a way. No, I'd love to hear. I've, I've read many of your, of your poems. I really like them. And so you picked out, you picked out a couple today you're going to read for us. Yeah, I, I, left out, <clears throat> I left out some of the more the longer ones um, that may be more directly on point as to kind of like tech themes. But I think all of these, I, I picked out some former ones, some sonnets, uh, a sestina, um, uh, uh, a pantoum and a villanelle. But I think you'll see um, the, the formality that I was, that I was uh, talking about in these. And then if we have time, I want to read a favorite John Ashbery yeah, poem. Yeah, like yeah, we like it a lot. So which poem are you going to start with for us today? 23rd in Union. Tell us what inspired this poem before you start, or do you want to, or do, is it best just to read it cold? I live in the neighborhood. This is in the Central District, and uh, there was a gym and a gas station and a pea patch that were torn down to um, build some, you know, multifamily thing. And I guess, you know, the Central District, this corridor, this intersection at 23rd and Union, it's a famous intersection in Seattle. I'm sure I don't know the whole history, but um, it's a little bit of a meditation on the cycle of, of um, you know, it's at one point there was multifamily housing in that intersection, and then it became um, um, more commercial, and now it's kind of doing both in this current wave of development. Yeah, no, let's, let's, let's hear it. I love, I love this poem, by the way. Thanks. 23rd and Union. Pea patch, gas station, Cappy's boxing gym, make up half a block where two main roads, late designated urban corridors, converge. There hasn't been a question then that multifamily would reclaim this ground, just when. And now a whitewashed plywood sign posts notice of a filing of design at planning and development downtown. I'll bet the applicant will first dig up the storage tanks and test the soil for leaks, though winter lettuce and blue de soleil's leaks some 30 yards away look green enough. Graffiti I can't parse is sprayed upon the sign, as is a stenciled phrase, fuck Amazon. So that's interesting, Bill, because that's, uh, I mean, we've seen a huge transformation of our city yeah, uh, I see there are people out there who are. <laughs> I've heard this on Capitol Hill. People are disgruntled about sort of the what's transpiring with this neighborhood they used to know and how it's how it's changing. It's a sentiment you see all over town, even as even at the same time as you see Amazon Fresh bags on every doorstep. It's it's you know love Amazon the, Fresh by the way. <laughs> it's a great I, service. I love Amazon and I'm a big oh, user yeah, of, of uh, Amazon. And and my personal feeling is that them centering in the middle of the city or in South Lake Union is good for Seattle. But there's no question there's a lot of displacement as rents are driven up. I mean, my, my kids can hardly afford to live in the in – the, in, but it's better than – it's better than a city not changing. Yeah, for decaying. sure. For sure, yeah. yeah. I love yeah. that poem. Thanks for reading that. Sure. Um, should I just keep going? Yeah, yeah. Let's read the next one. Yeah, yeah. sounds great. Uh, this, one's, this one's called The Litigator. This is also a sonnet. Though by the time he first appears, events have ossified like facts, he owns tomorrow. He does this by reading the documents. He doubts you just enough that he won't borrow the gloss you represent as guide 
Instead, he reads, old files from cardboard boxes, PST threads of mail, ghost-written notes, unfiled deeds, the time you didn't know you've had, you've purchased, that he might know the gaps around your claims. You think he's loath to overreach the truth, but it's not really that. His main concern is that your case not be impeached. Thus must he inventory evidence. The best attacks anticipate defense. That's a great one. That's a great one. I like, the way I like that, that a lot. I like the way that explains how a lawyer works in a situation. Yeah, I think it might. You and Joe and I are transactional lawyers, so we have a little bit of distance on what the litigators do, right? It's a little little mysterious, a uh, little scary. Um, but uh, Yeah, it's sort of like going to the doctor and, and there's a bunch of things done and you don't know exactly what's transpiring. Yeah. Somebody's doing a investigation to determine... A really good one, though. You don't know. You know. You don't want to mess with them. <laughs> you don't want to be on the other side of them. You want them on your side. And when you're, and you know, in the areas we practice with younger emerging companies, it's good to have some muscle if you, if you know, if the little guy needs it. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 No doubt. Yeah, tell us about like so. Tell me. I'm not. I'm not a writer. I mean, other than the fact that I've become a, a writer through through the the practice of law, I, I I used to really dislike writing when I was younger. And then um, it wasn't until I went to law school and and started reading and writing a lot more that that I started to to feel a lot more comfortable with it. Um, but tell me about sonnets, like uh, and the different types of poems. So what what is the the structure of a sonnet? What what makes a sonnet a sonnet? Are there rules that that you follow to to fit within that category yeah like what was it about what we heard that made it a sonnet uh well it's uh it's and you you just the, the classic sonneteer in in english that we all know and love is is shakespeare right uh um iambic pentameter yeah yeah um so it's uh the the basic uh, flow of the line is ta-da 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 um um, and and sonnets are fourteen lines long. They're usually made up of, uh, of of a group of eight lines balanced by a group of six lines. Or sometimes the Elizabethan sonnet that Shakespeare uh, invented or used a lot would be um, um, three groups of of, um, of uh, four, um, followed by a uh, couplet, and then. Follow a rhyme pattern. It could be um, A B B A A B B A C D E C D E. There's some kind of rhyme form. There's a lot of flexibility in how you can vary the the rhyme form, but but the it gives the writer uh, the ability to kind of play against the. There's a temptation to kind of come to a full stop. For instance, when you when you've got a couplet or a quatrain that's following a, a rhyme scheme. So part of what can be fun and liberating and exciting and radical uh, is to um, make the sentence wrap around the rhyme so that, so that you, the, the rhyme wants, to, wants you to stop, but, you, but the sense of the sentence keeps going and wraps around. Um, and, and then, you know, you, 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 you have the opportunity to make... Um, some kind of oral a u r a l sense out of out of violating the uh, the pattern. It's like you set you set up the constraints so that you can break the constraints so that you can appreciate where the lines are. 
It sounds sounds like like because it's what's interesting about. I mean, same thing with um, you know, software development and other other things. Sometimes having some constraints or or a framework to work around can um, actually be much easier. I, I find because uh, you know you can you can work within a particular um, framework. It gives you a place to start, uh, like a like a completely blank page, for instance, with no. Uh, or, or in, the, in the case of an application, like I always think of this stuff through the lens of an app developer, but like writing applications for iOS was always a lot easier for me than trying to write something for the web because a web page could just be anything. And uh, iOS app has some sort of built-in controls and there's a, it's a very small screen. So you have to make a lot of choices about what you decide to keep and what you decide to get rid of. Yeah. Is that, is that part of the attraction of, of writing poems in a particular format? Is this the constraints help, I don't know, channel, channel your message yeah yeah and or or help you unleash um layers of meaning that there's almost a there's a there's a logic to the to the to the form that may even exist independently of or critical of or counter to the sense of what you're saying and so it it adds um it, it adds a, a different system of meaning to what you're doing. And then I always thought, Mike, I don't know if I completely believe this now, if it might be a rationalization, but I always thought that if you're distracted, if I'm distracted by trying to fulfill the requirements of the form or thinking about that, I don't think as much about, uh, you know, if I'm looking for a rhyme, on one level that seems arbitrary, but I think it also allows me to kind of go into some other layer of, consciousness where associations and patterns are happening and and so it re- probably the rhyme really isn't random but it might be something i wouldn't have found if i wasn't distracted looking for the formal thing rather than the substantive thing so i read i read this great uh it was a uh, i forgot what writer it was but he had spent um like roughly like tw- he spent like twenty thousand hours writing this particular book and the book will come to me in a minute but famous writer might have been like James Joyce, like Ulysses or something. I don't know. But anyway, so one day he spent like, or, or during the course of this writing this book, he spent like two days one time writing like a, like a seven or ten word sentence or something. And uh, somebody said to him, well, didn't you know what words were going to go in that sentence? And he said, oh, I knew the words all right. I just didn't know the order. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it was kind of an interesting thing because you do, you do run into these dilemmas. As a, If you're trying to be a writer or any kind of artist or app developer or whatever, you you do run into these stumbling blocks where you just feel you feel blocked. You feel like you can't, at least I do. Um, Mike, I don't know if you feel that way in app development, if you ever feel stuck uh, where you spend like an inordinate amount of time on like the smallest little thing, but it matters somehow. Like, the smallest little thing matters, you know, sometimes. You know, we're recording this in the week that uh, John Asbury died. He lived to be 90. He was, uh, even people that don't like him, uh, that follow poetry would say, you know, he was clearly the greatest poet of the, American poet of the late 20th century, early 21st century. He, he's such, he was such a master. He's He's reported to have said, you know, he didn't, he'd write a poem and he wouldn't revise or it would just, huh. you get the feeling that he just, he just, he was just locked in from just. He was doing always it in that zone. He was always in that zone where he could, he could tap down to a piece of creativity and just write it out without distraction or interruption or. Apparently, and he's vol- he, he wrote so many poems. Right. Um, what what was his most famous poem? You think? 
Uh, probably self-portrait in a convex mirror, but he has some really popular ones that people should search on the web. Do you put links on your? Yeah. On your, I'll, I'll email you some links, and you should put them on like um, uh, 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 rutabagas and farm implements in a landscape. Is hilarious. It's a sestina, <laughs> and it's about Popeye and sweet pea and olive oil and the hagwitch, and it's hilarious. Huh. And he gets some nice effects from. That's actually a formal poem, which is unusual for him. The late Asbury certainly wasn't following those kind of forms. This next poem I want to read is a Sestina. But yeah. the Sestina, you take six words okay. and you repeat them over and over and over at the end of, of, each, of each stanza huh. in a predetermined pattern of repetition. Shall I just read copyright yeah, redux? Yeah, please. Yeah. This is about remix culture. And um, this, uh, this, this was published in... Um, uh, Boing boing! Um, oh, really? um, a, wow. a couple of years as okay. a as a kind of a <clears throat> you know, I thought that to talk about remix culture and Sestina made sense, and you'll see why. Copyright Redux: the song had to be remixed. Something to do with the way that soundboards differ today than when the first copy was captured back in the 1960s. An engineer, the executives trust, always says. Grab it in the studio. The first time, the studio sessions are trouble enough to remix. He'll understand the conundrum, I trust. We weren't the ones who fucked with the soundboards. Hippies, not from the 1960s, find their millennial ways to copy, as quick as chips can copy, bits to build to bytes in a studio. Oh, so remote seemed the 1960s. Every auteur since waits to be remixed, remastered, and re-released. You sound bored by the bookkeeping, but money's in trust because of it. Antitrust might have rescued these pirates who copy, covered them safely like rugs on sound boards. Thankfully, there's only one studio left. Laws of all nations have been remixed, and sold are the anthems of the 1960s. Forget the 1960s. Don't we again have musicians we trust? Hollywood goons nabbed one for her remix, served the suit, and charged her for her copy. House foreclosed, she's rented a studio. We're pulling the data now from her soundboards. Yes, she's messing with soundboards. Let it be, this ain't the 1960s. Carry laptop, the world's anyone's studio. Though government's the lone partner to trust with the codes for decrypting the copy. Soon, all will turn. Be ready to remix. We should license the soundboards, lest we be remixed and shown the door to the studio. The contents and trust from the 1960s, I'll lend you my copy. Wow, that was great. I love that, though. That is so good. You know, I saw that when it came out in Boing Boing, but I didn't appreciate it as much as I do right now. Wow, that's a really that's, great one. That's, really... A, that's a diagram of the... Oh, wow. You know this is how it so works. great. This is so great. Yeah, we should, I mean, I'd, yeah, this is wonderful, Bill. I'd love to... Have you, so I'd love to publish that sometime, maybe if you let me. That's it's a, on Boing Boing. Okay, I'll let's put a link to it. Okay. That's great. Um, I There are just two more that I wanted to yeah, kind of get in, if that's, yeah, o- if that's the, okay. I'm totally enjoying this. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Keep it up. This is great. This one, uh, since we're talking about form, this one's a pantoum. It's called A Life That Doesn't Date Itself. And you'll, you'll hear the form as, as, okay. as it goes. To live a life that doesn't date itself, you'd need to shut off all the cameras. The special fabric of a soccer jersey, hairstyles, beard styles, shoe styles, shade styles, 
fake smiles. You'd need to shut them off. All the cameras archiving when they aren't grabbing selfies. Hairstyles, beard styles, shoe styles, shade styles, fake smiles. Lock you down like you have no tomorrow. Arch rivals, when they aren't gabbing selfishly, train their tragic guns at local targets, locking you down like you have no sorrows to keep you perfect company. Restrain those tragic guns at local targets. The social fabric of a soccer derby may keep you perfect company to live a life that doesn't date itself. Love it. I'll keep going. Sorry. Am I, is that the end? That's, That's the wonderful. end. Yeah. That's wonderful. Wow. So There's a certain really, pattern really of repeating the lines. So you, now, a couple of years ago, you turned your attention to, to this with a little more focus, right? You t- took some time away from writing poems, then you came back a couple of years ago now, was it? Or is it longer than that? Or has it always been something you Well, been inspired by you, and in, in, in no small part, I'm sure, I, I was started blogging, right, for a few years, every single day. Yeah. And that's right. I just kind of re- blogger for like, I don't know how many years. And that sort of scratched the writing itch, I think, so, so, somehow. But but then I wanted to return to to uh, to poetry, and I, I I guess I have to admit I have this romantic notion that that if you can build a beautiful poem, it's like a it's it's like a, something that is independent and lasts and yeah could be a legacy, you know. Oh, for sure. I've always joked around with people, sort of half jokingly, that you know, all you really need to do is write like one really good like 14 word sentence and it could change everything oh, <laughs> oh I that sounds insane but i think yeah. honestly if you could just piece together the right 14 words yeah it could be it could be amazing <laughs> it seems it seems like poetry you know i'm sure that you know so much work goes into making it perfect and, and right and and to express what you're looking for but it seems like a, a very um a good entry point for people that are interested in maybe looking into writing. Like I, I, I've, I, like I said, I've always been, I've always been kind of, uh, I've always shied away from creative writing because I felt like writing has always been difficult for me. And that I feel like, uh, that, that to do it, you must have to have this drive. Like, you know, there are people that just have stories inside of them that have to come out. It's just what they do because they can't help themselves. And and I feel like there are other things in my life that are like that. So to try to, to try to tackle writing when I don't have the same fire, uh, always seem kind of discouraging, but poetry seems like it, it might be an, for somebody who's interested in trying to write poetry seems like an easier bite-sized piece that you could work on a poem. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect, but at least you're not trying to write a novel or a short story. It, 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 you could, you could, it seems achievable. It might not be, you might not be able to make amazing poetry, but at least you'd be able to finish well, something. You might be- um, I don't know. Do you, do you feel like that is poetry a good entry point for people trying to learn to write or trying to write for fun? I'm listening to what you say. And I, I think there's, I think there's uh, I think there's wisdom in that. And it could be that with poetry, the difficulty that you recognize, you know, with your own approach to writing could be something you, if you just pay attention to and struggle with and slow down with, that could be the beginning of something interesting, right? In your particular reaction to a form or, or rejection of it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the the d- d- difficulty, just recognizing that there's difficulty, if you bring enough attention to it, probably means you're going to, you know, 
address it some way. <laughs> um, and like, and like you said, yeah, if you're if you're trying to write a sonnet as opposed to a three hundred page novel, you might you know you might work at it for a week or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's um I mean one of the tricky things about writing is that if you if you're I am assuming that people that are interested in writing are also fans of good writing and you and you see all the best writing out there that you love and you think this is outside of my grasp like why should I why would I try this if I can't achieve what my my idols have done um and maybe that's the wrong way to look at it because I mean obviously everybody's got to start somewhere yeah. um yeah, yeah. I think what you, in influences, there's this critic named Harold Bloom that wrote this uh, seminal book called the, the Anxiety of Influence, in which he talks about how, uh, you know, s- strong writers can't stand that, that, that anxiety that they've been influenced. And so they have to, they have to act out. It's kind of a Freudian thing. You have to sort of, um, kind of acknowledge someone's greatness, but reject them or, 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 or subsume them or, or, deny that they have the influence i find my own um i go through periods where a particular poet is somebody i want to learn something from or borrow from but then you then sometimes they kind of recede it's almost like you have to kind of like uh, not pay too much attention to them if you want to kind of do your own stuff this 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 last one i want to read you guys that's mine and then if there's time i want to read you the john ashbury one um or or maybe you want to read the john ashbury one but this one's called uh you can you can a Skype your way to sunshine, and it. Speaking of famous lines, it 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 deliberately echoes uh, this famous line in in um, English poetry: "Gather ye rosebuds while ye may." You know about how time is moving on. This isn't about time moving on. This is about digital uh, obsession with our phones. While mobile applications run, their operating systems say. You can a Skype your way to sunshine. Pixels are atoms shorn of suns. Dads, send your children out to play while mobile applications run. Sure, antisocial geeks need fun as well, that's fine, but either way, you can a Skype your way to sunshine. A face to face to face is one where three are gathered, phones put away, while mobile applications run. To beat the rainy weather, hun, I traveled on a plane today. You can a Skype your way to sunshine. Steve Jobs, he modeled how it's done. Design devices while ye may, while mobile applications run. You can a Skype your way to sunshine. <laughs> I love that, Bill. It's good to... Yeah, I really love the line about the the pixels being shorn from the sun. That's oh, fantastic! Thanks. thanks, Mike. Is that did I did I did I capture did I say that right? Yeah. What, what that, that was yeah, a great line. Yeah, um, um, pixels are atoms shorn of suns. So pixels are 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 nuclear atoms without suns around them. Yeah, it's terrific. It's great, great imagery. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, I, I, I really love it, Bill. So you're assembling these all in a book for us? Hmm? You're assembling these all in a book for us? Yes, yes. And the, and notwithstanding the fuck Amazon in the first, you'll when the book comes out, I'll send you guys a copy. Um, there are numerous references. I find there are more references to Amazon. I think it's just the, 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 the time we're in right now. Yeah. It's just... 
all-encompassing. I mean, Amazon is right here in our backyard. It's yeah. fun and exciting. You can walk through Cycle Union and sort of absorb the the energy, right? And then it's just, I think it's like, I think it's the center of the of the economy, it feels like. You know, it's almost the center of the world is shifted from wherever it was before Google up to Amazon. Yeah, and, maybe, I maybe. Know. I mean, I think there's an argument. I always thought that, I've always thought that uh, Amazon basically did for the entire retail economy what, what ATM machines did for banks. I mean, remember how wonderful it was? You didn't have to actually go in and wait in a line and talk to a human being. You could just go to a machine. Well, yeah. now, you can do that whenever you want to buy something. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's a genius company. But anyway, yeah, so you're going to use the John Ashbery poem? Yeah, and this is called More Pleasant Adventures. It was published in the New York Review of Books in 1983. As a kid, I cut it out of the paper and went to hear John Esprey read at St. Mark's in the Bowery in New York. Oh, and wow. Big fan and uh, and approached him afterwards and asked him to sign my... Uh, really? Uh, oh, that's great. Cut out in the end, uh, and and he, he did. But this is, this is just a... This is an absolute masterpiece, this poem. All right, let's hear it. More Pleasant Adventures. And this is John Esprey's poem. This is not my poem. This is John Esprey's right. poem. More Pleasant Adventures. The first year was like icing. Then the cake started to show through, which was fine, too, except you forget the direction you're taking. Suddenly you are interested in some new thing and can't tell how you got here. Then there is confusion, even out of happiness, like a smoke. The words get heavy, some topple over, you break others, and outlines disappear once again. Heck, it's anybody's story. A sentimental journey. Going to take a sentimental journey, and we do. But you wake up under the table of a dream. You are that dream, and it is the seventh layer of you. We haven't moved an inch, and everything has changed. We are somewhere near a tennis court at night. We get lost in life, but life knows where we are. We can always be found with our associates. Haven't you always wanted to curl up like a dog and go to sleep like a dog? In the rash of partings and dines, the new twist... There's also room for breaking out of living. Whatever happens will be quite ingenious. No acre will, but will resume being disputed now. And paintings are one thing we never seem to run out of. Wow. What year was that published? 1983. Wow. Wow, that was great. Yeah. That was really great. That reminds me of so many different um, things I've read in so many different places. It fires a lot of, fires a lot of synapses for me. Yeah, it reminds me of that really one that one short poem by Bukowski. <laughs> well, what did he say? Something like it was something like "Lie down, lie down like a dog and wait." I <laughs> was like, that was actually a complete Bukowski poem. I think it was something very similar to that. Anyway, I love that poem by Ashbery. Thanks for reading that. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, I can't tell you uh, what a what a um, what a gift it is to me, you guys, to let me be on your show and 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 read poem. It's very liberating for me it just feels really feels really good oh we, really we, we loved it we loved it we want to have you on the show again here you know, come yeah. back to us a year from now and read some more okay well 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 uh, well i i i'm i hope to have take this experience and be inspired to keep pushing ahead i i i don't quite i don't feel like i have enough quite yet for this volume i want yeah. to put together but the outlines of it are there and i need to i need to i need to push ahead that's great, though. That's really great. <laughs> That's really great. Mike, what do you think? 
Thanks for sharing that with us. I mean, really, uh, really good stuff. I mean, we, we always think this the podcast is a great way for people to hear about what's going on in town and, and something they can do to kind of occupy themselves while they go for a walk or while they wash dishes. And, and I think listening to poetry fits really, really well with that. It's just kind of a really nice way to um, something nice to listen to while you're while you're going about your day. So thanks for you're thanks welcome. for sharing thanks, that with Mike. us. Thanks for your kind words. Wonderful stuff. Well, hey, if anyone uh, wants to get a hold of Bill, probably the best way to get a hold of Bill is to just Google Bill Carlton, Seattle lawyer, and you'll find his web bio. Um, and I think his, I don't know if you want me to give your email on the show or not, but um, great, great lawyer, great human being, great advocate for startups and and uh, in our ecosystem. So, Bill, just thank you for being who you are. Thanks, man. Thanks, Joe. It's really fun having you on the show. Great, man. And uh, thanks to everyone else for listening. We'll see you all next week.